Hello, and welcome to The Pink Elephant. I'm your host, Cortez Sanchez, broadcasting from Radio Phoenix. I am the 2009 recipient of the Be The Change Award from the Washington Peace Center and a student of Arizona State University School of Social Transformation. As a part of my LGBT capstone project, I will be interviewing Jeremy Till, the current Mr. Texas Leather and HIV educator. Jeremy tells us about his journey as a sex educator and his role as a community ambassador. Thank you so much for um, doing this with me. You're very welcome. Anything for the people. <laughs> Jeremy Till, he's the current Mr. Texas Leather, the founder of Beyond Brother and works in the field of HIV prevention in Texas. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about um, your work and how you got started in that? Yeah. Um, let's see. When I was diagnosed uh, HIV positive probably about, I want to say about 10 years ago, I went through the process that most people do when they're newly diagnosed. You know, you go to your local or county clinic. You have a, a, a like a mediator explaining to you what's going to happen. Then you get a like a patient advocate or some sort of case manager, and mine was really, really kind, uh, really patient, answered all my questions. And after that process, it was pretty easy. It took a, maybe maybe about a week for me to get into care and all that good stuff. And at the time, I was just waiting tables, um, trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And this position uh, came up randomly through volunteering at an HIV and AIDS uh, space here. And I took it as an event planner. And from there, I just kind of dove deep <laughs> into the programs and the grant writing and wanting to be more involved in making sure that people's experience was like mine, but even better. Because mine was good, but it, it I mean, it, there's always room for improvement as far as I'm concerned. So that's how I got into this. Okay. Um, which organization did you um, start your work in? Uh, I started working for the Q Austin, which is an empowerment program that was through the AIDS services of Austin here in Austin, Texas. Like I'm, I'm focusing my project on um, access to sex education. Um, so I know that we had discussed about um, me doing like the sex ed mapping project. And I know that you um, mostly work with um, communities of color. Uh, could you tell me a little bit more about that and why um, it's important to work with the communities of color in terms of um, HIV prevention? Well, uh, from a from a, like a programmatic and professional standpoint, it's important because those are the people that are in need the most right now for the education and the awareness and the treatment because um, most people on this side of the spectrum, that when I'm saying the programmatic side, the professional side, we know that people of color are uh, more likely to be infected with STIs, STDs, um, to have medical ailments and all that good stuff, but are also more likely to not go to uh, a physician or to be tested or things like that due to all kinds of things such as medical traumas and racial, um, just, just like racial things and just like all kinds of stuff. So there's tons of barriers. Um, so it's really important for us as providers to make sure that we are thinking about what we're doing for people of color because they're the ones that need it the most. So that's that. But on the just I would call it the vanilla, just everyday person who has no idea what's going on side, it's just important for us to be more aware of our world outside of just work and our children. Um, our health is really important. So 
bridging that gap, bridging that um, that awareness is where I have this service for you. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything but a little bit of time. Um, and you have this need, even though you might not even know it. <laughs> it's just education across the board. So keeping ourselves as professionals educated and mission-focused and keep helping people stay focused on their own health. It's, it's kind of a one feeds the other, and it's really kind of the conversation is started by the professional, not by the public. Absolutely. So I know for me growing up, uh, when I received sex education in school, there wasn't a lot of um, education for um, queer people um, or people who fit into the LGBTQ umbrella. So um, for me, I had learned about um, sex education programs from um, this nonprofit organization in Washington, D.C. called SMILE. It was the Sexual Minority Youth Assistance League. And um, they with this organization, I went to a camp called Brotherhood University. And it was um, by this organization or this group called Many Men, Many Voices that focused on um, LGBT um, men of color. Um, would you be able to talk about how um, stigma plays a role when it comes to talking about um, like sexuality and um, HIV and um, STIs and things of that nature? So stigma, I mean, stigma is kind of its own, its own beast that could even, I mean, honestly, we could probably talk for years just on the topic of stigma every day and never really get to the bottom of it. Um, I am of a weird opinion that stigma is, stigma is not something we're going to combat or fight, uh, or we can, we can fight it, but I don't think we're ever defeated because stigma exists outside of just sexual health, right? Like stigma is a word that is used for people who have a perception of a thing no matter what that thing is, um, based on what people say about it. So you can never get everyone on the same accord. Therefore, you're never going to get rid of stigma. However, you can help make the stigmas less uh, hurtful, right? So the idea that people are learning now that a person can live with HIV and it not be a direct result of them being uh, sexually promiscuous you know, it could just be the fact that their partner didn't tell them that they were HIV positive or that they were born with HIV. Um, the fact that people know now or can have access to information about that, that's going to help us in the future combat how negatively our stigmas can be. I mean, how negative our stigmas can be. Um, so that, I guess that's one and two. But the very at the very core of it, stigma is, I don't know, stigma is just something that we can't, do much about. I, I'm a terrible person when to talk to about stigma. I don't really think that we should focus on stigma. I really think we should just focus on helping people understand that there is a bigger picture than just someone living with HIV. Like it's it's a person living with HIV that has mortgage and you know also is has hypertension and two kids that they can barely afford. Like it's bigger than just HIV. It's like a whole person. Um, so if you're going to stigmatize a person for having HIV, you might as well stigmatize the whole person for just being human. It just doesn't, it makes no sense. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I don't think I really have a, a very strong opinion, not opinion. I don't think I have a very positive opinion or in line opinion about stigma. I am just of the mindset that it's not something we can really do anything about. We just have to keep trying to broaden the conversation outside of HIV and make it a whole health conversation. I know that the you versus you, you equals you campaign is, um, 
Well, you includes no, that that is kind of it, right? So like it's a it's kind of focusing on the undetectability of someone's HIV helps you focus less on the person living with focus less on the virus, more on the entire person, right? So like you want to and we really do a lot of education and sexual health around like physical stuff, right? So like people wanting to have physical sex um, with one another. So uh, oral sex, penetrative sex, things like that. Um, you equals you is really just helping us get to people outside of their physical sex, right? It's like you want to hang out with the person that you like a lot and they happen to be HIV positive. Remember that if you ever get to that point, they're undetectable and it's not, you know, it is not, you're not going to get HIV from being their friend. You're not going to have HIV from um, knowing this person. I feel like that's what you equals you is really trying to get to. Um, just get rid of the idea that just because the person is HIV positive, that they are no longer a viable candidate for friendship or relationship or sexuality. Um, think about the person as an entire person because they are taking care of their health. Therefore, they might even take care of your health, right? They're thinking about you while they're thinking about themselves. Okay, yeah, because that's what I was thinking, because I know, like, on apps, like, such as Grindr and stuff like that, sometimes I see people have profiles that say drug and disease-free, where they kind of, like, combine those together, which, um, you know, is very negative in itself because it makes um, assumptions on what people with HIV are like. So, like, is that what you were kind of, like, getting at? Sort of. I mean, that is all. That part right there is just a whole other thing. I think I was really getting at the campaigns of U equals U is a focus on whole person health, not just the fact that the person is living with HIV. Yes, they're living with HIV, but they're also um, a valued member of our society, and we should not just think about them as an HIV-positive person, but as a human, right? Um yeah, that's, I feel like that's what they, the, the U equals U are, is getting to. I'm also, I don't have a U equals U campaign. I have not had any meetings or conversations around it. Um, I know I'm undetectable, and I have been for a little while, but getting there was a struggle. It wasn't something that just out the, out the gate I was undetectable. It took me a few years to really even care about having an undetectable HIV status um, or uh, viral load, sorry. Um, because I wasn't focusing on my whole health. I was just focusing on the HIV, and it was the thing that was keeping me from focusing on my whole health. Um, and once I finally got to the idea of, you know what, maybe you should work out a little bit. Maybe you should start making some friends. Maybe, you know, you should create a little bit more. And getting that positive, um, getting those positive interactions really helped me focus on the fact that I'm an entire person, and HIV happens to be something that's a part of my life. Therefore, I should probably go for this whole undetectable thing. It's it's whole health. It's not just HIV. Thank you so much for uh, sharing that. I know you said you did some work with um, HIV Lives Matter. Would you be able to tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. So, um, oddly enough, I've never met the gentleman in person. His name's Linton uh, Walker. And I saw HIV Lives Matter t-shirts on social media somewhere some years ago. And um, reached out via Facebook and finally got one, right? Uh, you just order them through him. And he was explaining to me why he did them. And I was really inspired by the idea that apparel can influence a conversation that a person has always wanted to happen, but has never had the proper introduction to it. So 
when you're wearing these shirts or these T-shirts or these backpacks or whatever that says HIV Lives Matter in the same font of a Black Lives Matter, um, which is also a huge conversation starter, you give people permission to ask you questions, right? Because you're making that statement. You are saying out loud, um, I believe that people with HIV deserve to be a part of this conversation. Um, and if you person not living with HIV or you person who lost a person in the 90s from HIV or complications with AIDS or, you know, you young person who understands sexual health is really important, you know, I'm allowing you to have this conversation with me. Um, and that's what that shirt does. I don't know if that's his entire mission, but his that has always been what has happened. So when people reach out to get these T-shirts and sweatshirts and all that stuff, it just big conversations happen. Um, we're trying to get him and the program to national conferences in the next year or so because he has an amazing story about his life um, and his living with HIV for so many years and using art and apparel to start conversations and get education in the most obscure places like barbershops and grocery stores and churches, things like that. Um, I was hella inspired, so I contribute as much as I can. I think I have every single piece of HIV Lives Matter apparel that there is. <laughs> I can't own any more of it. Um, but, I mean, I'm a hell of a supporter, and I always try and talk to them about bigger goals and, you know, really amplify the voice of it because I see the potential in keeping conversations going and not letting people forget that a person living with HIV is just a person, like it's a person and HIV is a part of them um, and their life does in fact matter. Thank you for much, so much for sharing that. Um, I think a lot of people fail to realize that sexual health also encompasses like mental health and emotional health and social health and all of those things. So when when you went to school sure. in, um, you went, did you go to public schools in Texas? Can you tell me about what your... I did, yeah. Um, so did they have like health education? Like what, what did that look like for you um, growing up? Oh, well, yeah, we had health class. Like it was just um, like a really, really basic like, anatomy and kind of idea of what the human body does. Um, can do produce you know bacteria things like that um, explain things like menstruation and um, how babies are made like it was real basic it wasn't anything that was really in depth um, but when it came to the idea of talking about sex Texas is um, uh, Texas is and has been for a while an abstinence-based education uh, state so you know we we're just told that this is how it happens, but you shouldn't do that. You know, <laughs> that was our education. It was pretty easy. Um, and it's easy enough, right? Because then you can't, you can't be blamed for someone's behavior if you didn't teach them anything. But at the same time, you can also be blamed for someone's behavior because you didn't tell them anything. So you just, you just sent them out into the wilderness to go crazy. <laughs> Yeah, so um yeah, so as you know I'm doing the sex ed mapping project where I had um posed the question and I got over two hundred responses from people around the country about um the quality of sex education that they received. Um a lot of people are telling me that um the sex education they received was abstinence only, they didn't have conversations about healthy relationships, 
consent, body positivity. Um, some people like have attended like a religious institutions where, you know, like it's not a topic altogether. So I know that Texas is one of those states that does not mandate um, sex education to be taught. So that's why I was kind of curious about um, your experience. Um, about how long um, was your sex education classes? I had spoken to um, one of my peers at Devils in the Bedroom earlier um, on the show, and she had mentioned that her sex education um, was when she was 18, a senior in high school, about to go to college. And then, like, it was less than two days. And that's more than I, like, I pretty much spent more time learning cursive in elementary school than what she received in sex ed. So um, what was the length of education that they've um, provided to you in Texas? Well, if I remember correctly, and I probably don't remember correctly, but the the idea of, like, intercourse or physical sex was not even an entire chapter um, of the book. And the book wasn't really dense itself. The health book was um, really small. I want to say it was maybe like 30 chapters. Um, and it tried to encompass everything to do with the body and some, I would say some mental health but more so from, like, a psychosis place. Like, you know, like, trying to figure out if a person is having, like, a mental breakdown as opposed to is a per does anxiety, right? So, like, they didn't exa explain what anxiety is or, like, depression. Like, those kinds of things weren't brought up. They were just, it's like, when does a person need to be admitted? Like, that's really what we were talking about as far as the mental health. And I was like, well, Jesus Christ, <laughs> there's some things that you get to before that. But, okay, that's fine. That, um, that so, was yeah, I wouldn't, I w what? I was I was going to say that was included in your like sex education like y'all were talking about when people got admitted. Well, not quite when they got it. That was the whole health class, right? So oh, the book, um, you you study the whole book over the course of one semester, and out of the thirty chapters, you probably read maybe twelve of them um, in your curriculum, and out of that, those twelve sex was a part of one of them, but it couldn't have been more than two or three pages. So, you know, we're talking a day of talking about it and maybe two questions on a test um, about, you know, sperm meeting the egg. And I don't know how long is a, a term of a pregnancy. And that's that's it. Like that was that was sex ed for us. Yeah, and that wouldn't relate to everybody's situation. So um, would you be able to share what an uh, ideal sex education would look like for you if you were to um, create one? That is such a good question. Oh, you know what? You know, let's just spitball it. So <laughs> I think that education in all facets always bleeds into one another. Um, as, like, as a person who loves to learn, I love learning. Like, I don't, you can't tell me that, automotive and mathematics and sexual health can't be merged together because I can find a way to make them merge. At one point, <laughs> yes. I'm going to figure out a, this is all going to make sense to me, right? So I really think that sex ed or physical education for humans should really start as soon as people start to understand their body parts, right? Or start to have questions about what is this, you know, why is this? that like that we just have to start explaining to people well this is like its function i guess this is what some people use it for um this is what i use mine for those kinds of 
that kind of education is more helpful for me instead of saying what you should do with something or, you know, how something is supposed to be used. I just think that it all integrates from, from very little up into adulthood. And I don't think we ever stop learning sexual health. I mean, up until like the last years of our lives, because I know many people over the age of 70 who are still having very active sex lives and are still learning things about their body. Um, I don't think that we can map it out. It would just be so vast. The, the variables are just all over the place. Maybe just teaching people about their body parts, saying this is what people use them for, um, and then taking questions and answering them from a personal standpoint. Or it's like, this is what I do. What do you feel? You know, would you like more example kinds of things? Absolutely. So um, I actually just went to uh, several years ago, I went to my first workshop about consent. Um, and it was at a cuddle party. It was a workshop um, where people could practice consent. So basically, it's a safe space for adults to um, touch each other in a non sexual space. Um, so some of my major takeaways from that is, uh, you know, no is useful information. And when someone says no to something, they're honoring a part of themselves. And as you said, that um, even in a non-sexual environment, like say you, um, you know, ha you're working on a lot of projects and um, one of your supervisors sit, um, wants to put another thing on your plate, like by saying no, you're actually um, taking care of yourself to make sure that you're not overloaded and you can um, meet deadlines and do things like that. Um, I was gonna like to interject on yeah, the consent moment. I do think it really important to explain, explain boundaries to everyone as they get older, right? So like, I do believe that expectation of access to people, to things, to um, time uh, is, it changes over time, right? Like as a child, I do believe that people want more of your time and attention. Um, and I think the older they get or older we get, the more we want to be to ourselves and have um, me time and, you know, chill and rest on the weekend. So it's like the older you get, the more you get to a place where you really, really value alone time. Um, but at the same time, you have to remember that we are social. A lot of uh, being human is social, but also a lot of being human is communication. And saying no or asking for something and being and having the expectation of getting a no is very normal. Um, so you don't ask a question and assume someone's going to say yes. You have to you have to just wait for them to say yes or no, or maybe, or yes for now, or there are so many ways to say no, right? There are so many ways to say yes. There, there is yes with a few caveats. There is no with a few caveats. Um, I don't know. I just I wanted to interject that just for whoever might be listening to this, that it's completely understandable that when you learn consent, whenever you learn it and you understand how it works, that it doesn't negate what you did, right? It doesn't make you a bad person for not knowing it before this. It's just your experience. It's completely okay. Yeah, and I find it's a muscle that you have to continuously work because, like, I know sometimes, like, I – I ask people, can I give a hug? And I'm already extending my arms and entering people's spaces. So like, I have to like figure, like I have to like pedal back and be like, okay, like, am I asking or am I assuming? Cause I want to give people the opportunity yeah. to say yes. Um, so congratulations on being um, Mr. Texas Leather. Can you tell us um, a little bit um, 
a, more about what you're doing um, with your title? Yeah, Mr. Texas Leather has been quite the experience, I must say. I did not go into Mr. Texas or the leather title world thinking that I was going to be a part of it. I went into the competition simply as a representative of a facet of the leather or kinky world. As a black um, as a black man, I see myself sometimes in these spaces, but I don't hear myself. I don't feel represented. I don't feel honored. I don't feel empowered. And that's mostly due to lack of um, lack of representation, lack of knowledge, lack of people just stepping up and really being that thing that you that I want them to be. So I decided to be it myself. Um, getting this title and I hate I don't like to call it winning because I don't think I won anything I think I was given the opportunity and you know the points added up it is very much so an ambassadorship it's not a it's not a popularity contest it's very much you prepare for this and you show up and you do your interview and you map out your year and you tell people what you want to do and of course there's a physical aspect where you know you look a certain way sometimes or you put on a certain outfit but the core of it, you have to be able to do things like this, which is talk. And if you can't talk and you just look pretty, that's awesome. But what really are you doing with the platform? Um, what we've been doing with this platform, um, we're call, we call ourselves Team Texas. Uh, my Miss Texas, Elizabeth, and I have been focusing on the things that we felt lacked in our leather world. Um, for me, it was men of color, health and wellness, including mental health, including physical health, including sexual health. Um, and most importantly, purposefully being visible in spaces where you don't see us. Um, and it's kind of hard to miss a five foot four black man in a four and a half foot leather sash. Like it's kind of hard to miss it. So, you know, in some ways it's comical and it's, really cheeky and funny and in other ways it is incredibly dynamic and kind of opens people's eyes to the idea that oh this this is not what i thought it was going to be i thought this i thought this was just a whole bunch of white people in here beating each other up like no 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 it's not we don't get that crazy um in public spaces if you will um i've been enjoying it though i will say that i've learned a lot about myself i have learned a lot about community or what that means um i've learned a lot about uh, self-care and saying no and, um, and I've been teaching the whole way through so when I learn a new lesson I immediately put it out in the world um, and people have been really receptive and I've appreciated that I've also really appreciated um, being one of three black men to have been Mr. Texas Leather um, there is a very it's an interesting bond that you have with people that are of the same race and ethnicity as you. Um, and I know a lot of people can relate to that. It's just, it's, they get it. They just get it. They understand why I say no to certain things or why I'm cautious with my words in certain places or um, why I don't go to certain places. They understand it. I don't have to explain that to them. And I feel seen in those moments and I feel empowered in those moments. Um, so, yeah, it's been good. I mean, health and wellness is always going to be my platform as long as I live because I love a good old-fashioned health and wellness. 
I will take a downtime. I will go to sleep. I will take my antidepressants if I need to. Um, and I encourage people to do the same. So, yeah, Texas Lab. You know, I want to say just, like, thanks for doing what you're doing. It's really important for this to be happening. Earlier, Jeremy Till, also known as the 2019 Mr. Texas Leather, shared why sex education needs to include mental, emotional, and social health. For more information about Jeremy's journey and community work, please visit Caprice Andre, which is K-A-P-R-E-S-E-A-N-D-R-E dot com, or simply search Mr. Texas Leather 2019 on Facebook. Thank you again for tuning in and have a great night. Thank you for tuning in to The Pink Elephant on Radio Phoenix. I'm your host, Cortez Sanchez, and I can be found at CortezFrankSanchez.com or at the Cortez on Instagram. 